Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. I'm your host, Dr. Adriana Popescu, and I am so excited and privileged to have as our guest today, Dr. Dawson Church. He is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. His first book, The Genie in Your Genes, was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. In his next book, Mind to Matter, he showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. And his most recent book, which was just released, is called Bliss Brain, and it demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. He's conducted dozens of clinical trials. He's the founder of the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. He shares how to apply the breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and personal performance through EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. Welcome, Dawson. Adriana, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy I know you and I love your work. So I just, I'm so glad we're going to have a chance to share today. Yes, I'm, I'm so grateful. I got to take a workshop with Dawson a few years ago, an EFT workshop, and we've also connected through the energy psychology conferences. Yeah. Um, what a gift. I mean, you've been such a huge contribution to the field of energy psychology and all of this really cutting edge, innovative stuff. Um, but tell us first a little bit more about your story. How did you even find your way to this work? By being utterly and completely miserable, Adriana. <laughs> now, I'm not utterly completely miserable now. I, I wake up every morning and I, I, went, I woke up this morning, I went for, I meditated for about an hour, I went for a bike ride, and then um, we have some of our, our, our kids and grandkids have been evacuated, so we have a, a full house. So I got up early before everyone began their, their day and had a chance, but that hour to myself, took a bike ride through nature, just my heart overflowing with, with gratitude and happiness, actually just, actually just riding down this beautiful country lane on my mountain bike and actually crying in tears. Just my heart was so full of love and happiness, I didn't even know what to do with it all. It's like, what do you do with all this love and happiness? So that's me today. That was definitely not me 50 years ago. 50 years ago, I tell the story in this brain and I, and I don't, my books aren't very autobiographical. I don't tell my, I don't, I don't think my, you know, my, I don't have that interesting life story. What I, what I do, I think is really exciting, but, but who I am is, you know, not that exciting. I'm just a pretty ordinary person. But I do tell a bit about my life in, in Bliss Brain. And 50 years ago, I was a teenager, and I had this really pivotal moment I talk about in Bliss Brain when I was 15 years old, and I was in a, a hotel with a full-length mirror in the hallway. And back then, there weren't, weren't a lot of full-length mirrors around, and I wasn't in hotels very much. And so I remember walking down the hallway and stopping and staring at myself in this full-length mirror. And I, I, I had this blue bell-bottom trousers and this kind of orange hippie shirt and my hair was halfway down my chest. I had this leather bag of books because I always had books slung over my arm. And I, I stared into my own face and these words flashed into my head. That is the saddest face I've ever seen. I was just so wretchedly miserable. I was depressed, I was anxious, I had the symptoms of PTSD, I had nightmares, I had flashbacks, I had intrusive thoughts, I was hypervigilant, you name it. I was, I was just a wreck. And I realized I had to fix myself, so I, I joined a spiritual community, went and lived on an intentional community farm for a while and stayed in touch with that community and other communities, like one place I lived was near Swami Muktananda's ashram in upstate New York. And so I was there for a while and just it, try to get some kind of a handle on, on even becoming, I mean, I, I didn't dream of being happy. I dreamed 
of being slightly less unhappy. And so I had this long journey of learning the great spiritual traditions of the world, the perennial philosophy, learning a little bit about psychology, taking classes at the local university in psychology, using these twin approaches of psychology and spirituality. And I got a little bit less unhappy over the years. Then when I was 45 years old, I really made a commitment to daily meditation. And within a year, everything had changed. All of my old stories began to crumble. I had become noticeably happier. My love life, my financial life, my career, all kinds of things shifted. I discovered tapping the next year, and it's just revolutionized my, my, my sense of well-being. And then I found myself getting so happy, I wanted to share and look into the research, like, how on earth do you get to be this happy? What's going on here? And that's when I wrote Bliss Brain. So that's kind of a, a quick 65 years worth of history. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so many of us, right? We're drawn to this work from our own personal struggles and challenges. Yeah right? That's how we, we're yeah. seekers, we're searching. And then when we discover something that works, we want to share that with everyone. It's why I'm doing this podcast, right? Um, but I think the thing that impresses me the most about not only your personal story, but the work that you've done with your research and your books is to show people that everything is plastic, it's malleable, and it can change. Like we can change our very physiology and anatomy, how our brain works, how our genes functions. Can you tell us more about that? It is amazing. In my book, Mind Matter, I talk about how our thoughts are literally creating our reality inside of our bodies and outside of our bodies. And studies are showing this. I mean, the research being published now about this is, is absolutely extraordinary. Like one study published about two months ago on Alzheimer's disease looked at people's negative thinking and positive thinking. But they weren't looking for whether they were positive or ne negative thinkers to begin with in the study. They were looking at the accumulation of beta amyloid plaques in the brain. And in Mind to Matter, I have this really uh, good illustration of a cross-section through brain tissue showing beta amyloid plaques, which build up in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. And so our neurons fire in these neural bundles. And then if they get interrupted by something, they can't get through that obstacle. And the obstacle in, in, in the brain in Alzheimer's is these really gooey, sticky, they're kind of like bubble gum on the brain. And these are the beta amyloid plaques and they build up over time. And in this study, just astonishing study, they were looking at all the factors contributing to the buildup of beta amyloid plaques in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. And they found the single biggest correlation was between negative thinking and beta amyloid plaques. And the more negative thinking you did, the more beta amyloid plaques were being deposited in your brain. I mean, we are literally creating our health, our well-being. And I'm not saying that's the only thing that's happening there. I mean, there's a genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's, but it's triggered by something. And that something is stress, is negative thinking. So we are creating these realities internally, and then we're creating some externally. My favorite, um, study when it comes to external reality. There are a lot of studies showing that uh, we create our external reality around us. And in, in Mind to Matter, I tell a bunch of, of stories about people who created, you know, a million dollars, who created the, the love of their life, who created the, their ideal house. They, people create all these things in their minds first and then in, in outside reality. But um, one of the, the coolest pieces of evidence in terms of outside reality was a study by uh, a, a man who has a long track record of cancer healing and has done a, there have been a lot of randomized controlled trials of his ability to kind of uh, embody healing intention, hold his hands out, and then cancer tumors disappear. And usually the studies are around mice. He does some work in what he calls two-leggeds or uprights, but he likes the, the, the four-leggeds and he says there are a lot less trouble. So he does most of his studies of him in mice. And typically the mice have this induced uterine cancer and the cancer grows very rapidly and it starts to crush their internal organs and the mice die within 21 days. No mice, no mouse ever survives more than 21 days once that process starts of uterine cancer growth. And so in this study, they had two cages of mice in two different rooms in two different buildings at a university. And one room was, we'll just call for, for 
um, the sake of remembering it. One, one was the purple room, one was the yellow room, and there was a cage of mice in both places. And at random intervals, he was told to send healing energy to the cage of mice in the yellow room and not in the purple room, the yellow room only. In fact, he didn't even know there was a cage of mice in the purple room. So he was, he was sending it to the, the mice in the yellow room only. Underneath each cage of mice, there was a device that measured the electromagnetic field in the room. And again, this is part of the Earth's geomagnetic field. These electromagnetic fields are one of the four fundamental forces of physics. They're supposed to be stable. They're supposed to be unchangeable by human intention and consciousness. And so at random intervals, a pager went off. And whenever this happened randomly, he then sent healing attention, healing energy to the mice in the yellow room only. And of course, those mice got better. But at that moment, the magnetometer suspended below the cage in the yellow room deviated from its state, whereas the magnetometer in the purple room did not. Only at those random intervals, only in the yellow room, did that measuring device change. And it changed about 20%. I mean, think about that. We can change electromagnetic fields. We can change, we can change the strong nuclear force. Other, other strong nuclear force is what holds atoms together. We can change that, that nuclear force and other experiments. So we are amazing creators. And what I say is start creating intentionally. Start creating your positive thoughts. When I have a negative thought, like I had some kind of you know, problem last week, some deadline we missed in, in our, our training program. And this deadline was really, I was really emotionally affected by the amount of work we put into this. We missed the deadline. And so I, I, I had negative emotion. Do I want that high cortisol in my body and that adrenaline flowing through my, my brain? No, I do not. So I just tapped, I meditated, I did energy exercises and I released it. I actually walked around the house screaming and yelling and tapping and just acting like a crazy man, letting go of all the energy. And it was gone in 10 minutes and I felt great again. So you want to just nail your negative thinking. Don't hold on to that negative thought for a moment longer than necessary. It's hurting your body, hurting your mind, hurting your health and propagating itself around you as well. So those are just a few of the ways in which we create our internal and external realities by thought alone. Yeah, and I think most people don't even realize, the average person doesn't even realize that and doesn't realize, you know, first off, they're not even aware of what they're thinking. You know, they're mostly unconscious. They just know they're upset. They are acting out in some kind of ways. I work with addictions and we see a lot of that um, happening there. People just can't even deal with all the negative thoughts and feelings. And so they're trying to numb themselves. Um, but what's really interesting in Bliss Brain is <laughs> you talk about how we can naturally induce those feel-good chemicals ourselves. So let's just start with what is bl Bliss Brain? It's a tongue twister. But besides that, what is Bliss Brain? Uh, bliss Brain is this really happy state that people get into. And I was first exposed to this in this spiritual community when I was 15 years old. So you know, again, this is going back 50 years. And like you look at the images of St. Teresa of Avila when she's at prayer and these ancient saints and Francis of Assisi, St. Catherine of Siena, Hafiz, Rumi, Ramakrishna, and these elevated spiritual beings. And, and you realize when they write, you know, read the writing of Hafiz or Rumi, these people were just happy. They were in absolute bliss. And then you look at images, like in Bliss Brain, I have an image of St. Francis, and he's just literally passed out. He looks so stoned in that image. It's like he's just on a drug-induced high of some kind. And same thing with Ram Ramakrishna would be walking down the street, and he would freeze. He'd go into samadhi. He'd leave his body for maybe sometimes for days on end. His disciples would pick him up like a log and carry him back to his ashram and set him down. And then he'd wake up and explain that he'd been in this blissful state. And what, I mean, this isn't just happiness. This is like, you know, this is, now I could not relate to this when I was 15 years old. This seemed like just, I mean, unrelatable. And then um, when finally neurosciences developed these high resolution MRIs, I mean, now our MRIs, like your, your laptop screen or like your cell phone, 
these have been becoming higher and higher resolution. So now we have the equivalent of, you know, uh, these mi micropixel displays in MRIs and EEGs, they're getting so much better. And so with these high resolution MRIs, we can look at people's brains and we can measure them down to the action of a few neurons in size. It's amazing what we can do now. So now that we have all this, this, this imaging equipment, bright, smart neuroscientists have said, let's put Tibetan monks who've spent 40,000 hours meditating in an MRI and take a look at their brains. And let's grab some Franciscan monks, uh, Franciscan nuns who've, been, who've spent 25 years in, all, in daily prayer contemplation and having these blissful experiences, unio mystica, mystical union with the divine. They're the St. Francis's and St. Teresa's of today. Stick them in an MRI and look at their brains. And Adriana, their brains look nothing like the brain of the average person. The brain of their brains function is completely different. The happiness centers of their brains aren't just a little bit more active they're like lit up like a Christmas tree. And the unkindness and the survival centers and the centers that are self-absorbed, self-centered, and that are focused on anxiety and depression are just shut down. So that's Bliss Brain. And we now have a really good neurological profile of what people look like in Bliss Brain. Now we'll, we'll talk about the neurotransmitters and hormones in a moment, but uh, just to ask the, that exact question, it is a state of bliss that is so far beyond the average person's comprehension of happiness. Just one metric from Bliss Brain. In one study, they compared the, 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 the brains of these advanced Tibetan yogis and they found that they were, they measured a wave called gamma, which is the wave of integration, insight, creativity, and bliss, joy. And they have 25 times the gamma when they go into meditation that the average person has. So they are just a little bit happier. They're 25 times as happy, and that's, that's bliss brain. You feel absolutely fantastic. Right. So you're really talking about ecstatic states, right? And I thought what was so interesting is, like you say, we can now scientifically measure with, you know, biochemical markers and with brain waves and, and what parts of the brain are, are lit up, you know, when people are, are not just meditating, but just in their like regular waking state. Um, but what's really interesting to me is that it didn't matter what spiritual tradition or what practice these people were doing, the profiles of their brains all look the same. Yeah, whether they were Taoists or whether they were Hindus or whether they were Christians or whether they were Pentecostals or whether they were Catholics, when they are in this ecstatic state, they have what's called the awakened mind signature on the, on the EEG. And it's a very particular brainwave pattern. And so they have a lot of alpha waves. And alpha is what we've been trying to train people for the last you know, 50, 60 years in neurofeedback. You try and train people to make lots of alpha. They also have a, a larger amount than normal of theta and delta, the two slowest waves. They also have almost no beta, which is the wave of conscious thought and also stress and worry. So that beta goes away, lots of alpha, plenty of theta and delta, and then flashes and often sustained amounts of that gamma. So we built this profile of what the awakened mind looks like. So once we, we've looked at these yogis and seen what they do, we're now really focused on training people to get into the awakened mind quickly. And we find they can, if you, if you give them the right instructions, like in this brain, I give people seven steps of this method called eco-meditation. And I just stumbled on it like in 2008, 2009, because I was no good at meditating. And I'd never been able to close my eyes and still my mind, I still can't. But I can breathe in a certain pattern and I can relax certain muscles. And these put you into that deep, profound state. And it puts novices into the awakened mind and it puts them there quickly. Like on the very first day, of, I, I do seven day retreats, meditation retreats. And um, on day one, it takes people, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes. But in 10 minutes, they're in a full blown awakened mind experience usually. Now, by the end of the retreat, we hook people up to an EEG again and we measure how long it takes them to get to the awakened mind. And so in chapter one of Bliss Brain, I have one section of the book called From 50 Years to 50 Seconds. Because at the last retreat, 
besides finishing the book, we hooked one woman up, and at the end of the seven days, we measured her time into bliss brain, time to actually evoke the awakened mind. Again, usually Andrew Newberg meditation studies finds that it takes people 20 to 40 minutes to hit bliss brain so that yogi sits down, meditator sits down, does the right things, and usually 20 minutes to 40 minutes later, they have the awakened mind. We're able to get people there now in the first 10 minutes, and then we have this one woman, the last day of the retreat, we hooked her up to the EG, had her close her eyes, do the seven steps. She was there in 47 seconds to a full-blown mystical experience. So that's why that, that part of the book is called 50 years. That's how long it took me to figure all this stuff out to 50 seconds. How quickly we can get people there now with these evidence-based methods. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, uh, I've been playing with the eco-meditation myself. The really cool thing about um, your book is that uh, people can click on a link. I have the you know electronic version, but in the book, they could just type it in. They can go to a link and get these bonus extras. And there's audios of you guiding people through the eco meditation. And I'm, you know, I've done meditation in the past. And like many people, like even you said, um, you know, it's difficult to keep your brain, you know, you can't quiet your mind very readily. Um, you get distracted with other thoughts. A lot of people try meditation and give up on it for that reason, because they think I'm not doing it right. But I love how you kind of guide our attention to breathing in six seconds, breathing out, right? And then doing some heart math type things where you're kind of breathing through your heart and you're beaming out compassion and love um, towards someone or something, a place, whatever that you love. And that, you know, that even the way you're breathing and the way you're focusing your energy, it is, it's like taking the best of all the different meditation practices and putting them together so that people are able to achieve these um, if not, you know, like I didn't have an ecstatic spiritual aha experience, but I got very relaxed and I felt very peaceful and my heart felt open. Yes. And so that's where you go initially. And <clears throat> eco meditation is designed to be a starter technology like that. But where you take it past that point is you start to do all kinds of things with it when you are stabilized in that, that kind of a space. So I talk in the book about getting stable in that positive state stability, it's called the jargon that we use in, in various studies. And so then you're stable in that state, then you start to go places. Like for example, I wanted to go after I was in that state stability. Today I wanted to go to, into a really enhanced experience. So my intention was I want to double and triple and quadruple the strength of my gratitude and compassion. And that's when I began to cry because I was just in this absolutely blissful state. So once you get to the initial experience, you then can do a whole bunch of other things. You can ask, ask the universe for guidance. In Mind to Matter, I talk in chapter one and at the final chapter, chapter seven, about just tuning into non-local mind. And when you do that, when you let go of your fixation with your local problems, with my, I, me, mine, my life, my problems, my worries, my past, my present, my future. You, you just let all that go. The, the brains of these nuns and these monks show that the self-absorbed part of the brain, the self-referencing uh, part of the brain, it's a part of the brain called the mid-prefrontal cortex, right over here, and it builds our sense of self. And that sense of self is a suffering self. It's a sense of self that is usually very focused on the past and the stuff that I didn't get, didn't like, didn't work for me back then and the future and what bad things might happen in my future. That's essentially what self-referencing is. And when you look at MRIs of these nuns and these monks, that part of the brain, the mid prefrontal cortex turns off, shuts down. But in a study that's being published soon, and I give a little preview of it in this brain, people doing 22 minutes of eco-meditation for 28 days. These are novices, don't meditate usually, don't have a, an experience of meditation. They just listen to the track at blissbrain.com. They just listen to that, that 22 minute track for 28 days. And when we got their MRI results back from the lab, pre and post MRIs, those MRIs looked like the brains of those nuns and monks. 
their prefrontal cortex, the midprefrontal cortex, had shut down, just like those nuns and monks. One thing we also found, which we haven't quite figured out yet, is their dorsolateral prefrontal cortex on the, in the left hemisphere shut down as well. And that's an unusual finding, which we haven't figured out how to interpret yet. That's the real thinking brain. That's the most active part of the, the reality construction machine shut down. And then, so these two parts of the brain shut down, and then one part of the brain just lit up in both the left and right hemisphere, and that was the insula, a part of the brain that has to do with compassion. Helps us feel the feelings of others. So gratitude, compassion, happiness is linked to insula activation, and the insulas are these novices, no, not meditators, just after doing this for a month, their insulas were just lit up like Christmas trees. It was beautiful to behold. So it, these states are, they're available to these mystics who have spent 10,000 hours and the people who spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes doing this every day for a month, they get there too. It's amazing. It really is. And I think, you know, again, coming from my ex clinical experience working with so many people with drug and alcohol addiction, that's really what people are seeking, right? A lot of people with drugs and alcohol, they do have these blissed out experiences. I mean, all the way back, you know, in this, in, well, throughout time, but, you know, like in the 60s with LSD and all of that. So there's this neurochemical aspect um, that I would love for you to talk about in these seven neurochemicals that, you know, we can get through an external agent like taking a drug, but that our brains can naturally create themselves. And that people just don't know. Even neuroscientists, I find, are really not aware of the drug uh, analogy here. And the, the first, the biggest example I talk about in Chapter 5 of Bliss Brain is a drug called anandamide. And it's also called the bliss molecule. And it has the same molecular structure as THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. And it docks with certain receptor sites in our brain called cannabinoid receptors. And they're cannabinoid one and two receptors, different parts of the body, different parts of the brain. But we have what's called the endocannabinoid system in our bodies. And it's a receptor for these pleasure neurochemicals, anandamide. Anandamide is the primary one. And again, it is basically your brain's, your body's own natural THC. So when people have a lot of anandamide in their brains, they feel ecstatic. They are essentially getting the same effect as a large dose of marijuana. But of course, no side effects. It's not an external chemical produced entirely by your own brains. They're also getting a strong surge of oxytocin. When you feel that love for the universe, love for everyone, love for nature, you're having a flood of oxytocin in your body. So this is the bonding hormone, the one the hormone makes you feel close to other people, produced in huge amounts during um, lactation produced during, it's the trigger for, for contractions in childbirth. People who have sex, people who are nearly in love have high levels of oxytocin. But, you know, a couple's, my, my wife and I have been married for a long time, and I just call her an oxytocin machine. She just walks around the world and smiles at people and hugs people if she possibly can. And, and just, she's just like a creator of love and goodwill. And she just watch people's oxytocin just going through the roof when they're with Christine. So um, we, the, the, these, these people who are in this meditative state are making lots of anandamide, lots of oxytocin, lots of serotonin. And so <clears throat> we've had a lot of reports now, people doing eco meditation saying, I'm having mild hallucinations. What's it all about? I'm seeing angels. I'm seeing spirit guides. I'm hearing heavenly music. I'm, I'm drifting in the clouds. And what that is, is that is psilocybin slash serotonin. And serotonin has the same chemical m makeup as psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Docks with the same receptors as magic mushrooms. And then cocaine and heroin. Cocaine and heroin activate the dopamine system in the brain, the reward pathway. So does alcohol, so does smoking. So essentially, St. Francis, you know, blissed out there, St. Teresa blissed out, Ramakrishna, Rumi, all these guys are basically, it's like they've taken acid and marijuana and magic mushrooms and cocaine and heroin. And that's why they look so totally stoned. That's also why with eco meditation, when you finish, like I went for a bike ride this morning because I couldn't go and do a spreadsheet. I couldn't go and um, 
do a complex calculation. I couldn't peer review a paper. I couldn't do anything like that. I was just, I was just too stoned. So what I could do is take a bike ride through nature and cry. That was like the most I could handle but right then was staying balanced on my bike for an hour or riding a few miles and just weeping with gratitude and wonder at the mist all around me. Like you look at the mist and it's like the most beautiful thing you've seen. You, you feel your breath and it's like you just, you feel the miracle of being alive. And you, those people who are trying to find happiness somewhere else by ingesting a drug like, like marijuana or LSD or psilocybin or whatever, they just don't know. They got it all inside already. It's all there inside your inter internal biochemistry. And like in your work, <clears throat> if you can get people, it, basically, if you, if you have an addictive personality, I have a highly addictive personality. I mean, I was addicted, addicted to everything I could get addicted to early on in life. And I still am, except now that I'm addicted to getting it from meditation and from love and from the universe. And so you want to take addictive personalities who are looking for heroin or alcohol or cocaine or whatever their drug of choice is and let them know they can get unlimited amounts of it endogenously inside their own heads. And it's through meditation. And once you transfer your addictive personality from seeking an external substance to that internal high, it's a wonderful thing. You have no side effects, you have no hangover, and you have an inspired, blissful life. So that really, I think, I'm hoping that this will become um, a regular part of addiction counseling. Just sit here with your headphones on, do this super simple meditation, and see what happens to your, your brain. The chances are you're going to find the bliss you've been looking for in that external source of a drug. Amazing. Now, with addiction, there's this other issue I want to talk about that you have a lot of personal and professional experience with, which is trauma. So many people who have addictions, part of the reason they're seeking those external agents is to make themselves feel better because they have experienced horrific things, horrific things that have altered the way their brain functions, maybe altered the way their genes are functioning. What do those people do? Yeah, I write, wrote two books about trauma and I've done a lot of training like the EFT four-day professional workshop where I met you. That's a training and a lot of it is to do with trauma. And so people get traumatized. It doesn't mean you have PTSD. It's not like you have full-fledged diagnosable clinical levels of, of PTSD. But um, research shows that even mild parental neglect can result in mild traumatization. And many people will carry those scars with them throughout, throughout their lives. And so you, you have to address that. One of the real problems with the spiritual community that I joined when I was 15 years old and the spiritual work I was doing is that the teaching there was transcendence. We can transcend our ego. We can transcend our addictions. We can transcend our earthly wounds and move into this exalted state. And that research shows that it's not true. That does not work that way. You have to deal with a traumatized self. So you, you have to go there. There's just no, no way around it. You can't jump over it. If you try and leap over it, it becomes the dark side. It becomes the shadow self and it, it'll hurt you. So trauma treatment is an essential part of this journey. So you have to both feel the happiness. Now it's worth just doing bliss brain and doing that wonderful addiction uh, experience a few times so you know it's possible, just so you know it's possible. But then if you have been traumatized, even mildly, maybe majorly, um, you need to then go do your trauma work. And I'm playing around now with creating a practical program where people actually do this. I haven't got it launched or designed yet. I'm looking at really advanced meditation techniques to help people get to the happy state first. And then number two, they're going to do a trauma course and they're going to do it with a trained professional. They won't do it alone because you know, as well as I do, that you don't want to go and deal with your trauma without an expert there who's going to be there for you in case you have a flashback, a nightmare, you get overwhelmed, you have a, an ab reaction. So it's, it's necessary to go in there and deal with your trauma. So experience happiness, number one, do the meditation. Number two, work with somebody if you have PTSD or you've been severely traumatized or if you get overwhelmed, work with a professional, work with somebody who knows the territory. 
And then once you've cleared that, and again, in, in, in research, studies of EFT show that it doesn't take long. It takes between three and 10 sessions. Even people with complex developmental trauma often see marked progress in those 10 sessions. May take more, but again, the research is three to 10 sessions and you clear the trauma. At that point, you circle back to the happiness and then free of the potential downside of the shadow, you then move into an infinitely happier life where you're building, having all these gamma, gamma waves in your brain, you're shutting down the selfing parts of your brain, and you really are then unlocking your full potential. Uh, yeah, and that offers hope for people, right? Because I think a lot of people who've experienced trauma, especially complex trauma, lifelong trauma, you know, recurrent events over and over again, they, they have a sense that this will always be with them and that they're never going to be able to get over it. And we know that's not true. I would love to hear more. I really consider you such an expert in EFT, emotional freedom techniques. Could you tell us more about that and how that works to help people heal from trauma? Yeah, and it's striking how good EFT is at that. And EFT is a lot of research on EFT. There are over 100 clinical trials of EFT. So there's a lot of research on EFT for depression and anxiety and phobias and other kinds of problems. But its efficacy for PTSD is just stunning. Like before, the American Psychiatric Association did a literature review in 2006 of all the trauma treatments that were all the research that there was in the world published on trauma, and they came to the conclusion that PTSD, in their words, was an intractable treatment-resistant condition. In other words, you've got trauma, you'll always have trauma. Uh, they did not paint any kind of light at the end of the tunnel, and that's not very long ago. So now we have EMDR, we have EFT, we have somatic experiencing, we have yoga therapy, we have all these therapies, and they can deal with trauma. EFT especially is so quick. And so it combines elements of cognitive therapy with elements of exposure therapy, where you remember the bad stuff, and it brings in the ancient uh, energy techniques from acupuncture. So rather than using acupuncture in the form of needles, it uses acu pressure in the form of tapping on acupuncture meridians like this. And you just tap while you think about the bad stuff, while you focus on self-acceptance. And the remarkable thing is that research shows that people's levels of those trauma symptoms, like hypervigilance, like avoidance, like flashbacks, like that nightmares, those symptoms drop by an average of 65% in the first, over the course of those first six sessions. They drop by a lot and then they level off and remain stable thereafter. So EFT is combining these modern techniques like, like behavior therapy, like exposure therapy, with ancient techniques like acupressure and meridian flows. And when you tap and think about the bad stuff, what happens in the brain is that, now if you, if you think about the bad stuff without tapping, then you light up all those neural pathways again. And if you light them up again and again and again, and again, they get bigger and stronger and better able to communicate. So trauma, traumatized people tend to get worse over time as those neural bundles get bigger and faster. So that's called re-traumatization. And if you're remembering the bad stuff without a way of letting go, without any kind of catharsis, then you have re-traumatization. But if you will let go, if you can let go, then you light up those neural bundles and then what's called counter-condition them using a proven technique like tapping. So the emotional brain that handles fear and anger and resentment and rage and all these other emotions, that part of the brain is really lit up when you think of a troubling past event or a troubling present problem in your life. When you then tap, MRI studies show that that part of the brain just quietens down. So you still remember the car crash, you still remember the childhood bullying, whatever it might be, but you remember it without any emotional stress. You no longer are getting emotional about it in the present moment. And that essentially is the effect that EFT has. When you combine remembering an event with tapping, it removes the emotional component from the memory. And remarkably quickly.
I mean, we use tapping at the rehab where I work all the time. And within minutes, just a few rounds of tapping, people's nervous systems calm down. The, the logical part of their brain comes back online, right? And they can think straight and they can use other tools and they can use reason and logic and things like that. But when they're in that fight, flight, freeze response, they don't even have access to that part of their brain. No. In fact, when that part of the brain is active, it actually recruits the prefrontal cortex. So you now have not only do you have negative feeling, you have negative thinking as well. And it's a very hard loop to break. So you've got to remove the negative feeling and then you have a chance of thinking effectively, but you can't think straight. In fact, I have one, one, I may have shown this to you in the workshop, but there's I have one little, little video of human cells and what happens when you get stressed and the capillaries in your brain just shrink. They shrink about 70 or 80%. They shrink, shrink dramatically in your prefrontal cortex as the blood flows into your muscles of fight or flight. So when you're upset, when you're angry, when you have ne any negative emotion, your ability to think is compromised and you can't figure out a good way of, of, of living your life. So it's really, really important. In this brain, there are four different networks in what I call the enlightenment circuit that we find active in the brains of these yogis, these adepts. And the first thing I say is, on the first of those circuits you have to learn to activate is the emotion control circuit. Unless you can control negative emotion, it is almost impossible to have a happy life. So that's what comes first. Wonderful. So I want to let some of our viewers and listeners know about some of the resources that you have out there. Um, you have a website called EFT Universe, and it's just a treasure trove of everything related to EFT. Can you tell us more about what people can find? That's where I always send clients, you know, when they want to find out more. What can they yeah. find on EFT Universe? We'll go to the research page, research.eftuniverse.com. That's a great page because we keep all the newest research updated there. And so you want to want to use a look at that and just uh, look at the stories as well. Type in, like I had uh, uh, somebody recently on a call say, has anyone ever used EFT for trichotillomania? It's like, what is trichotillomania? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I looked it up on EFT Universe and Bingo, there are like a bunch of stories there about people have used it for trichotillomania and people have used it for all these obscure conditions. So they've used it, of course, you know, for diabetes and gout and ADHD and autism and all these other, other things as well. And it's wonderful to read like the story of a mom whose six-year-old was autistic and had him tested and then she uh, moved to a different city and looked around for his autism resources there after using EFT and brought him into a clinic and got him tested again. And the staff, the clinic said, why are you wasting our time here? This kid is an autistic. I mean, just these amazing stories from people. So that, that's the EFT universe. And then if you want to get into EFT universe in a particular way, go to the website that is my name, DawsonGift.com, because I just put a new meditation on top of that page. And DawsonGift.com gives you access to an immunity meditation because one study showed that people who'd used tapping, this was a, at a retreat, was a week-long retreat where people were tapping, meditating in the morning, but tapping all day long, tapping away their traumas. And we measured their levels of cortisol at the beginning of the retreat and at the end, their cortisol dropped precipitously over the week of the retreat and their immunoglobulin antibodies, and the antibodies are super important. They are in all your mucous membranes. They protect you against viruses, including the coronavirus. There are two kinds of coronavirus that cause the flu. There's the novel coronavirus. You need lots of antibodies to protect you against all kinds of pathogens, toxins, bacteria, viruses. You want to just generally raise your immune level. And they found in the study that people's levels of immunity of immune antibodies rose by 113% in a week. So you seriously want to apply this to your life. And at the very top of DawsonGift.com is that immune meditation. So that's the most relevant thing to do in these times when we're all very concerned about raising our immune level. 
Wonderful. Yeah, I highly recommend people check it out. We're going to add the links to the show notes. Um, you can get a free manual that you can download to learn how to do EFT. You can use EFT not just for trauma and negative emotions. People use it for performance enhancement. Um, athletes are using it. I actually worked with a couple of Olympic athletes, which was super cool. There's just a million applications of EFT. If you combine EFT with these eco meditation techniques, I mean, there are infinite possibilities available, aren't there? There are. And that's the beautiful thing is that when you do these things for a while, initially you're drawn to them like I was because you're miserable. You're miserable, you're looking for a way out. And what we teach people in our professional training is that that is actually your teacher, your addiction, your misery, your divorce, your disease actually is getting you to do something and take action. And so you do that initially out of desperation like I did to be less miserable. But then you tap and you meditate, you let go of your trauma, you start to get happy. And what things happen then, Adriana, is really interesting. You start to discover your potential. Like I never thought I was ever gonna be a writer or a scientist or a researcher or a communicator. I, I, I had a whole different career in book publishing for most of my life before then. I was just not in this field at all. And so you find potential, you find you can do things. I never thought I'd write best-selling books that would reach a million people, but you know, uh, life, what, what happens is when you, when you start to blend with non-local reality and when you start to hang out in the universe every morning like this, the universe starts to hang out with you. And um, it then gives you downloads of information. Some days I'll close my eyes, I'll tune into the universe, and I'll just find myself in this blissful state. And I'll then say, like I, I uh, beginning of the pandemic, I, I just, after being in that bliss state, I just grabbed a, a, a recorder and just recorded the thoughts going through my mind after uniting with the universe. And I recorded this post called The Pandemic of compassion. Because I went onto my search engine after that, looked at, at how many people were doing good things for each other. And it turns out that there is an absolutely huge global pandemic of people doing wonderful, caring things for each other. In Iran, the country of Iran, all of the houses of worship, the mosques were shut down when COVID hit there. It hit Iran really hard. And so all these empty buildings were there. And so Iranian women began using these empty buildings that were, weren't being used and they began to come together into little clubs and they began to sew face masks for people because there were no face masks in Iran. And so they, they just got together and began to do this and hand these out to their neighbors. In Canada, people would check on their elderly neighbors, make sure they had masks, make sure they were safe, make sure they had groceries. Uh, one couple in, in Texas was at, at a diner having a meal and they got up and left and they just you know, filled out, signed their credit card and signed, signed for their, their, their food. And they left a tip, a very generous tip on the bill. They left a tip for $54,000. Wow. And they, they wrote underneath it, we hope this, this gets you through the tough times. And so in my blog post, The Pandemic of Compassion, and actually you can see it at pandemicofcompassion.com, there are all these examples of kindness and consideration and love and compassion. And that's the real story that is not being told here, is that people are kind and caring and giving and helpful and supportive in ways they never were before. So that is the story. When you, when you tune into the universe, you are tuned into a whole different narrative from the people who are stuck in the misery around you. And you know, then, then it just becomes a matter of sharing from the heart where you are and the possibility of extreme happiness, extreme joy, extreme love. And it's all just waiting for you there. It's ready for a download. All you have to do is sit there, close your eyes and receive it. What an amazing conversation. Oh, I'm so grateful that you came on to talk with us today. It really has been inspiring. Um, everybody who's listening, watching, please go check out Dawson's stuff, his websites, anything else you want them to know, anywhere else you'd like them to go. I think that's the main thing. One other place you can go if you want to get a quickie tapping session is we have a new platform called Tapping Place. And it's just tapping 
place.com. And we have practitioners there who go on and they, they are there for you. So if you want to do a quick video session with, with a live certified practitioner who's trained in trauma, who's trained in EFT, certified in EFT, go on to happyplace.com. You can get a quickie session immediately there. And it's great. We have people go on go there who are having panic attacks. We've had people go on there who are in pain. And it doesn't take long. The shortest session you can do there is 10 minutes. The longest session on tappingplace.com is 30 minutes. And you think, what can you do in 30 minutes? You can do a lot in 10 minutes. And people in these 10 minute sessions are seeing their pain levels drop sometimes by over a half. Their panic attack just goes away in 10 minutes. So all of that, that instant help is available. And that's, that's the one thing I would emphasize too. If you need help, tap by yourself, download the manual at dawsongift.com. And then go to tappingplace.com, create an account. You get a free session with a practitioner to start with. Use your free session. Make sure you have that bookmarked, tappingplace.com. You can just go there whenever you need help and then work with somebody there. Now, that's not a substitute for mental health care. If you need a mental health professional, again, you need a trained person. And so be wise. S simple things you're dealing with, tap yourself. If you need a trained person, go to Tapping Place. If you're dealing with a serious problem, like addictions, like obesity, like cancer, go and get somebody, work with somebody on a sustained basis who can really be there for you. And you may need a lot more than the kind of superficial techniques that we're talking about here. So um, there's a spectrum over here. Make sure you have every part of the spectrum from great mental health care, like tomorrow. Tomorrow, I have a session with my non-tapping psychotherapist. Now, Dawson, why on earth are you going to see a non-tapping psychotherapist, you know? Because part of the package, I want the best medical care, I want the, want the best mental health care, I want the best tapping, I want the best energy medicine, I want the best everything. And so you need to have a whole spectrum of things there for yourself and to give yourself, to love yourself enough to give yourself the full range of health in living the best possible life. Thanks again, Dawson, for your time. You are truly a gift. And uh, thank you all for tuning in today. Um, you, if you like this podcast, please do share with others who may also find this inspiring and click like and comment, all that good stuff. Thank you again, Dawson, for being here. I'm Adriana signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.